It was strange that Chester was attending church on his own. But after a couple of weeks of him attending without Alice, his wife of many, many years, Emma noticed. She started to worry about him. She started to wonder what could happen. Why is Chester there on his own? And she thought, I hope they're not having marriage trouble. After the next week, when Chester attended on his own, Emma was concerned, and so she ended up talking to her, her friend Sophie. Sophie, do you think it's possible that, that Chester and Alice are having marriage problems because Chester's there on his own? Of course, nobody talked to Chester about this, but they were worried. They were concerned. And it's funny how when you kind of get a thought in your head, how, well... That thought just, you can't quite shake it. And so Emma was watching Chester the next week as he came to church on his own again. How strange. And how after worship, he, he lingered by the coffee bar, talking to Carolyn. Carolyn was, his wife, was Alice's best friend of many, many years. And, and they, they were just kind of talking in hushed tones. And she watched as... Carolyn passed a Tupperware dish over to Chester. And you can see Chester getting a little bit weepy. And then in a soft moment, you saw Carolyn put her hands on Chester's hand. And it looked like she was maybe praying for him or something. And she thought, whoa, I think there's something going on between Chester and Carolyn. Emma was very concerned, very concerned. So she talked to Sophie about it. Sophie, I think there's something going on between Chester and Carolyn. I saw them by the coffee bar. She put her hand on his, and they were talking after church, and Alice wasn't there. Of course, no one talked to Chester about this. That's, you don't want to muddy the water. But, but they were worried. They were concerned. So when the ladies' auxiliary met... They talked amongst themselves just out of concern. Out of concern. I mean, Chester is on the leadership team of the church. And if there's something going on with that Chester, if he's cheating Chester, if he's hashtag cheating Chester, if cheating Chester, if cheating and Chester and Carolyn, if they have got something going on there, well, now that would be wrong because, because he and Alice, they are supposed to be, but he's coming to church on his, on his own and there's no Alice and he's, and he's talking to Carolyn. And what is, so, so the ladies auxiliary, they talked about it. And they prayed about it. And they were very concerned because, because they care. They care. Now, a couple weeks later, when the prayer request showed up of, of asking for prayer for Chester's dear wife, Alice, as she, was, as she was having some complications with her chemotherapy and how she couldn't keep her appetite or her food down, even, even though her dearest friend, Carolyn, kept providing her with her famous chicken soup. Well, Emma felt a little different about it. Now, when the word got out about how the ladies' auxiliary were all aflap about Chester 
supposed infidelities. Well, and when Emma was, was confronted about that, she said, well, I was, just, I was just trying to care. I didn't mean to hurt anyone. But we all know the damage was already done. Now, just for the record, every single name in that story was make-believe. Every detail of that story was made up. I'm not referring to any person in this church or any committee in this church, just for the record. But we all know the power of gossip. And we've all experienced it. We've, every organization experiences it. Every group, every work setting, even every family, we all experience gossip. We've all been hurt by gossip. We've all participated in gossip. And as we think about what it means to be church together, gossip is one of the aspects of church life that is among the hardest. We're in a series called I Believe in the Church Again, where we're looking at some of the well, harder aspects of, of church life. And then looking at, you know, where those things come from. Um, and what we can do about it. How, how do we apply the teaching of Jesus? The word of God. The, the, the message of the gospel to these things that, that affect all of us. And, and so gossip, it, it's, a universal, it's a universal problem. It's a universal challenge. And all of us, all of us we could share a gossip story about how we were hurt. And, and as our technology advances, uh, we are just getting really good at it. <laughs> I mean, we've got abilities to, to send uh, you know, messages around the world at lightning speed. We're so, so it's important that we know what God's word says about the power of words. And, and it's important that as people who are seeking to follow Jesus together in, in, the, in the big crazy mess that we call the local church, which is God's plan A for impacting the world, it's important that we, we acknowledge these things head on and, and, and search our own hearts for what we can do about it. Well, the Bible has quite a bit to say about the power of words, uh, especially in passages like James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm just going to read that uh, together. Because, um, well, it's, it's actually, well, James is Jesus' younger brother who wasn't too involved in his ministry, uh, as far as we know, um, in, in his you know, pre-resurrection life. But after he saw his older brother raised from the dead, he was quite convicted and ended up becoming quite the leader in the early church. And so he, as he's writing this letter uh, called the book of James, um, to the early church, he had a lot to say about like, how to do church life together, what it means to actually apply your faith. And, and one of the big areas of what it means to apply your faith we find in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Also, um, as for those of us that are in a teaching profession, uh, it's, a, it, it's a hard passage. So I, I have to buckle up to read it. Um, but, you know, we, we tackle into the the tough parts of God's word, not just, the, not just the easy parts. So let's hear it together. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. 
Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And able to keep their whole body in check. Verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. Stick out your tongue. It's not real big, is it? Small part of the body. But he makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the course of one's life on fire and is, set, it is itself set on fire by hell. That's a tough word, isn't it? That the words we speak are like fire. Malcolm, can you pull in a little bit closer here? Think of the power of fire. <laughs> not, not this fire, mind you. There we go. The power of fire. You know, this flame can keep you, well, it can burn my fingers, yeah. I know, some of you are worried about that. Thank you. Thank you for being concerned. But, you know, this, a small spark it powers your car and gets you home. That same type of small spark could launch a rocket to the moon. That same small spark is part of heating your house and your furnace. That same small spark can burn your house down. Can, can like, like that passage says, it could destroy an entire forest. Our words are like fire. They are so powerful. Even think, like, just the power of words. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. I mean, God spoke the world into existence. Now, obviously, we don't have the power to, to literally change the physical world around us. But we do need to know this, that words, words create worlds. They create worlds. Your home may be built on concrete and wood and plaster. But your home, your home is built on words. Is yours a home of encouragement or discouragement? Is yours a home of grace? Is there air in your house? Words create worlds. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago about there's, a, there's an indigenous tribe in, in northern Australia that in its native language doesn't have words for left and right. All of the words that they speak uh, related to parts of the, of the, you know, anything around them. We think left, right, up, down. They think north, south, east, west. So everybody raise your north arm right now. It's, that's, that's that one. That's your north arm. Everybody raise your south arm right now. Now, if you turn another direction, raise your north arm. This is your north arm. And this is just strange, huh? And it's embedded into the language. 
So you don't think about go to the house that's on to the left of the tree. Go to the house that's to the east of the tree. Everything is directional. Every part of the language is directional. And so as sociologists started to study this and started to learn the language, they discovered some things changed in the ways that they were even thinking. That, that they were, like, who here would say they're directionally challenged? If you grew up in, in, this, in this aboriginal group in northern Australia, you would not be. Because in every moment of the day, you're thinking about where you are, east, west, north, south. It's one of the reasons why, like, you, you, you think of these people groups who have been on the land for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and they can navigate this vast continent without GPS, because they have deeply embedded internal maps. Words create worlds. You change how we speak, it changes how you, how you think. So the words we speak to one another, they create the worlds that we, that we live in. Words are incredibly, incredibly powerful, like a, like a spark like a fire with tremendous creative potential and tremendous destructive potential as well. That's why gossip, when we've experienced, when you've experienced it, that's why it hurts so much. It's, it's, It's a fragmentation of the world, of your world. So where does gossip come from? Well, Jesus tells us where gossip comes from. In Matthew chapter 4, or chapter 12, verse 34, Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So it's important to ask, especially when we're tempted to share a story about somebody else, share a detail about somebody else, it's it's important to ask the question, so what's on my heart? What's on your heart? So there's at least, I think, at least four um, motivators for gossip. Maybe there's more. Um, But let's just kind of get the conversation started there. What's on your heart? Well, sometimes what we have is a desire for importance. Because knowledge, to a certain degree, is power. Turn to your neighbor and say, I know something you don't know. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor. I know something you don't know. Remember that from from grade school? Some of you are in middle school. You live in this world, and it is hard. And it feels good to know something. feels really good to know something. And it can feel really powerful to share something. Even though sometimes, even if our intentions are good, sometimes it's not actually ours to share. Be very careful what you put on social media. Be really careful about what you share about your children on social media. The same words that we can use to encourage are the same words we can use to tear people down. Sometimes the thing that's on our heart is, is, is a desire to, is this desire to hurt or to belittle. You're going to get them back. Or sometimes, and, 
you know, in order to, and we see this in our kids. We see this in, in middle school and see this in high school. We see this in grade school. That is for certain. Where if I put somebody else down, it makes me look better in comparison. Because at least I'm not as bad as. I may not feel great about myself today, but at least I'm not as bad as. Emma. <laughs> From the make-believe story. At least I'm not as bad as. Or sometimes the thing that's on our heart is, is, is not wanting to feel alone in our fears. We're nervous about something. I think this is where you know, the, our, our journey together through the pandemic, as a society, not to mention as a local church, was, uh, was hard. We find something that we're fearful about, and we're like, boy, I wonder if other people are, are nervous about this too. So we find as many people as we can to tell them the same thing. And see if they're nervous. And if they're scared too, you're like, oh, good, I'm not alone. Regardless of whether the thing that we're scared of is true or not, we just don't want to feel alone in our fear. And sometimes it's the fourth one. And maybe you can come up with others. Sometimes the reason why we gossip, why we talk about other people behind their back is is fear of confrontation. Because... We're just nervous to say that to their face. We're, 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 we are honestly concerned. We're just not concerned enough to actually talk to them about it. And so we talk to other people about it. It's fear of confrontation. Though Jesus has some important teachings about this. Um, you know, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18, he says this, If your brother... Or sister's sins, and some, um, some early manuscripts also say if it sins against you, so there's a little bit of a, like a translational you know, challenge in there. I actually think that it's probably the, the way the NIV puts it. If your brother and sister sins, because otherwise it kind of feels like a loophole, well, they didn't really sin against me, so I'm off the hook. I don't need to really, you know, I don't need to engage. If a brother or sister sins, it says, Go. And point out their fault. (laughs) No wonder people get nervous about Jesus' teaching. Go and point out their fault. But just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, now it starts to get public. So tell it to the church. And if they refuse even to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, they're not maybe part of your circle anymore, but remember how Jesus treated the pagans and the tax collectors. They still treated them with a measure of dignity. And then it gets to verse 18, which is like this reminder of the importance of words. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Our words, our words, they create worlds. Our words, they are powerful. So we need to ask ourselves do do I avoid hard conversations? Yeah. Why do I avoid hard conversations? Am I someone who can receive 
a hard word when it comes my way? No, I'm so grateful that I've got some friends in my life that are able to, you know, challenge me. And I'm also aware that the, the more that you kind of rise in different areas of leadership and responsibility, the harder it can be for people to feel like they can approach you. Are, are you approachable? Do you avoid the hard conversation? Maybe that's one of the ways that the Word of God can challenge us today. That we can make the journey from gossip, which in the moment feels safe, but it ends up being incredibly destructive, to truthfulness, which in the moment feels very unsafe, but leads to true community. That we can confront one another kindly and with love. That really is the secret. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about the very essence of love. Like, what is love all about? And, of course, we often read these passages of things like weddings, and it's certainly true. This is true in marital love. It's true in family love. It's true in friendships. It's also true. This is, and we think about love, this, we need to think about this is how God feels about me and you. And when the scriptures tell us that God is love, passages like this help us define love more clearly. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. When you think about God's love for you, these are words that help us to understand how he feels about you. He's patient. He's kind. He's not looking. He's not looking to get you. And the more that we receive the love of God, the more we're able to give it to the people around us. You know, you hear passages like love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What? It, like, there's some aspects of it that actually seem a little irrational. You mean I'm choosing a way of living that at times is a bit naive? Uh-huh. Are you choosing at times to look at the world around you and the people around you with a little bit of like a rose-colored glasses? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what it means. But I might get hurt. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what will sometimes happen. L- love, to love one another, is to make generous assumptions about one another. We talked about this a, f- a few weeks back. You know, how God looks at us like sheep without a shepherd. That he sees all our faults, but he believes the best for us nonetheless. 
You know, the, the whole secret to all of this, all this church life stuff, you know, the, whether we, the hypocrisy like we talked about last week or gossip like we're talking about today, it's, it's how do we actually apply the gospel to our own lives? And how do we actually apply the gospel in the community around us? You know, the Christian idea is, is absolutely unique among human philosophies and human, human religions. You know, this idea that, that you and I, we are, we are messed up. We are broken and sinful at the core. That there's proclivities and desires and wants that are just heading fundamentally in the wrong direction. That we have a tendency towards selfishness and self-centeredness. And left to our own devices, we will self-destruct, not only in this life, but in eternity. All of us deserve hell. All of us. And God desperately loves us. Not in spite of our faults, but even in the midst of all of them. He loves us so much that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the penalty, the moral penalty for all that garbage that lives inside of us and welcome us into his family. Fill us with his spirit so that we can be transformed by his love. We are broken and loved simultaneously. So even as we hear things like gossip and this, you know, teaching can often get really moralistic about gossip. Like, don't gossip. It causes a lot of, you know, causes a lot of trouble, which is true, which is true. We're tempted sometimes to say, yes, that's right. I do that. I'm such an idiot. I am so horrible. I am just disgusting. And no, that is not the gospel. The gospel is when we say, yes, I do that. And yes, I give in to those temptations. And in God's eyes, that's not who I really am. I'm his daughter. I'm his son. And then as we apply it to the world around us, we are able to still identify the faults and flaws. It's not like we, we turn a blind eye to sin and evil Not at all. But we apply grace to one another as we engage. We make generous assumptions about one another when we see things that look off. And and from that, as we confront and we must, we ask caring questions. I don't know if I see the whole picture here, Chester, but it seems like Alice isn't with you right now. What's going on? Or, or maybe, maybe it even is even more direct, like, like, hey, hey Chester, I, it, it seems like you're like you're talking real, 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 real closely with Carolyn there. What's happening? We ask caring questions of one another, make generous assumptions. We ask caring questions. Proverbs 15.4 has these words. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. 
A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. I hope that I can be someone who speaks life into the people around me, that uses the gift of the, of the words that I've been given to build people up rather than tear them down, to appropriately guard people's privacy, to believe the best about people rather than assuming the worst. Lord, help me speak life. That's a prayer I'd like to challenge us to consider together as a, as a community. As we, as we think of the power of words in our lives. Lord, help me to be someone. Help me to be someone that speaks life into the people around me. Lord, you see all the mixed motivations inside of me, the fears, the desires to feel important, the hurts I've experienced. But Lord, help me to speak life. Who are the people that speak life into you? Thank God for them today. Who are the people that you desire to speak life into? So maybe you're thinking about your kids. Those of you who are grandparents, I know you're thinking about your grandkids. And what does it mean for us to be in community together, this big, messy group of people that are trying to follow Jesus together? Lord, may we be a place where we speak life into one another. You know, speaking life doesn't mean that we don't confront. Oftentimes it means we do, but just we do, it's the tone. It's how we confront. We assume the best. We ask caring questions. We try to build one another up because, you know, when we do this together, like just imagine what happens when when, when it's not just an individual that says, yeah, I want to speak life, but like it actually becomes like enculturated in a group. I'm so grateful that, that Columbia Grove has a reputation in our valley as being an encouraging church, a welcoming place. I hope we'll continue that legacy and I hope we will build on it. Lord, help us, help us to be a local church that is worth believing in. May we, may we, may we be people who speak life into one another.